Are you frustrated with your government contracting journey? Do you feel like there's just something missing in your business, but you just can't put your finger on it? Are you finding enough opportunities? Are you struggling to win the few opportunities you do find? Do you have a plan of attack or a strategy for this market? Would you like somebody to review your current approach? Maybe it's time to consider getting a coach. Our team of coaches have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. We've figured out how to help companies just like you accelerate in this market. Market. If you want to find out if coaching is for you, go to federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today and fill out a coaching application. I will personally respond to your application and schedule a time for us to talk about your business. There's no cost for the session. There's no obligation. There's no hard sell or anything like that. What I will guarantee you is I will review your top challenges and give you detailed advice. And if coaching makes sense for you, I'll walk through your options. Visit federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today to get started. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Michael Lejeune here and I'm going to be your host today on Game Changers. And as always, we have a great episode lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about something we've never talked about before, and that is financing and competitive strategies for growth. And we're going to be talking to a banker. Uh, that's that is. Uh, I was talking to Aaron yesterday, and we've never had a banker on the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to this and getting some fresh perspective on some some strategies for this for financing and growing your business and doing some things that are a little bit outside of the box. So I don't think every small business thinks about how they integrate their bank and their bankers into their business. So I'm really looking forward to the perspective we get today. So I want to welcome our special guest today. Her name is Erin Andrew. Erin is a managing director of government contract lending at Live Oak Bank. So welcome, Erin. Why don't you please take a minute and just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Mike, thank you so much, and excited to be the first banker on this podcast. Uh, an important topic for many small businesses, and the number one kind of challenge that we hear is financing when you're trying to, you know, when you win a new contract. So excited to be a part of this. Um, I actually came to government contracting through working at the SBA. So just as a little bit of background, I um, have been sort of in the nonprofit government public policy space. Um, for a while now, and had started the SBA uh, back in about 2010, and had managed the Office of Women's Business Ownership. So worked a lot supporting women-owned small businesses, both in the contracting side, but in, almost in any industry, to be uh, honest, um, in terms of finding access to capital, helping them grow, um, looking at strategies to pivot um, in their business plan. And then from that, got very engaged in the government contracting space. So worked at SBA for about seven years. And then as I was contemplating my exit and in kind of my next steps after leaving the federal government, I wanted to do something where I felt like there were a lot of challenges that just had not been addressed yet in the marketplace. And access to capital, particularly focused on the um, government contracting place, um, was 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 one of those places I wanted to spend time. So, decided when I when I when I left to come to Live Oak Bank, where I was able to continue to work um, and serve small businesses, um, trying to make a go at it. 
um, in the government contracting space by providing them with financing. Because we found when I was at the agency that a lot of government contractors, if they win a big award, they're, they're having a tough time finding that financing. And then as they look at growth strategies, they weren't quite sure how to leverage financing in the right way to grow as fast and effectively as possible. So that's how I came to Live Oak Bank, um, have a, a decent amount of experience. On, on a side note, um, had worked, like I said, in public policy, but I also started a business with my brother. We have a hops business back in Indiana. Um, my brother runs it, but helped him start a hops business for craft beer. So that's kind of a off the off the resume thing that um, is fun and 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 I get really excited about as well. Well, that that's really cool. In fact, I, I was talking to you yesterday about my friend that did the podcast with us on SBIRs. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so he, it's, it's really interesting. So he went and raised around $20 million, uh, through SBIRs to grow his business and eventually sell it. And then what business does he get into making craft beers? So he actually bought the, uh, Great. yeah, he bought the old church in town here and turned that into a brewery. And so it's a little microbrewery right here in town. So maybe it's something to do with uh, government contracting and, microbreweries i don't i don't know you need a good microbeer yeah to go along with all those acronyms yeah, well know. you know sometimes government contracting can be painful you know we we always we always talk about the truth on here and uh you know it is very painful sometimes going through this especially not when you don't know everything and and often we always talk about it, it usually takes three to five years to really understand government contracting with all of the, you know i came from the military and i still there's all these acronyms and all this stuff that's out there and so it takes a while to kind of wrap your head around that now you, you gave me some questions uh that we wanted to touch on and we're going to get to that here in a second but you said something and i warned you about this before we got on here you said something that that <laughs> that uh, brought up a, a different question here for me I, I sit on a lot of business councils locally and i get to go through our business boot camps and i get to judge business plans and you talked about business plans, and, and hopefully I'm not jumping the gun on one of your questions here, but what do you see for, as a banker, from your perspective, what do you see as like the weak points in business plans that gets brought to you? Because I know when people come in, they bring their business plan and all that, and you have to evaluate that as part of the loan. What, what are the one or two or three like weak spots that you see fairly consistently in business plans? No, that's a great question, and I think there are a couple of different. And and I actually saw this in my when I was at the SBA and counseling and working with a lot of small businesses too. Um, number one, realistic expectations on what the business is going to do. Um, I think everyone thinks, you know, especially on the government contracting side, but on, on on any business, I'm going to win all of the above, and that is going to drive um, revenues and profit for my business, and it's going to take me to the next level when it's you're not going to win, you know, what is the worst case scenario and laying out kind of best case and worst case scenario. Cause I think a banker, we mitigate risk, right? And we under, we look at if everything goes wrong, what, how is this business still going to, still going to, you know, do. And so having a realistic understanding of what you can win and what you can't win and what you're going to do um, and being very frank about that and then demonstrating financially that it still works out. Um, I think that is key. And I think a lot of folks, you know, I think entrepreneurs by nature are very positive and very optimistic. So you kind of need to have the, you know, the reality check as well um, as you're writing that business plan and if you're talking to someone who is looking to provide financing. Um, I think another thing that I saw, and I always think that small businesses, it's the last thing they want to think about, 
um, it's, and it's probably the most important, is an exit strategy. Um, and whether it's in the government contracting space or whether it's in some other industry, um, you know, you get started because you believe in this dream and you believe in what the business can do. Um, you don't think about actually leaving that business. But um, from a business owner's perspective, if you're getting into that business, you have a good understanding of what that business can do. So you should also be thinking about once it does everything you want it to do or it grows to a certain point, what are the different exit strategy options for you? And how do you build to those goals? And I think folks get started and they don't even think about exit strategy until they're maybe five years in or ten years in, um, when in actuality, some of those milestones that you're trying to get to as a business, whether it's a government contracting business or another business, um, should be based on what that exit strategy um, goal is. So I think that's another that's another thing that isn't always included and should be included in the business plan. And then obviously, you know, strong financials. Um, the financials, you know, you, you get to talk to the business owner, you get to, and as, as bankers um, um, or, you know, investors in a business, you want to know the person, you want to know that they have their heart and soul in this, you want to feel like you can trust them. Um, and that is number one, that is very important. But then in addition, they really need to know the financials because you're starting this business not only to build a dream, you know, the business owner has a dream they want to build, but if the financials aren't there, the financials are weak, and the financials don't add up, um, from the banking perspective or the investor perspective, there's no, there's no going forward on that particular opportunity. So um, I think those are a couple of places that I think, you know, where folks, you know, could strengthen their case um, in the business plan. Yeah, no, that, I think that's great feedback. And I, I like how you said realistic numbers, you know, kind of at the, at the start of that, because I, I think most people, and this is not a knock on bankers in, in any way, but I think most people are terrified of the banker to some degree of not a rational fear, but this, I, I'm going to put this business plan in front of them and I want to do everything I can to impress them. And I'm afraid I'm not going to. And so that's where they, they get into the financials and they're like, oh, you know, well, yeah, we're not going to make money in the first year, but we're going to make $10 million in year two. So everything's fine. Give me a loan. And, you know, they, they kind of take that mindset instead of like what you're talking about of realistic financials and having a strong grasp of all of those factors. So. And I think, so it's important, I mean, with anything in life, right? You look at any relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a family member, like communication is key, Right. Um, for a banker, you're oftentimes entering into a relationship with someone for at least a year. Oftentimes, it's five years. And with SBA loans, it's a 10-year term. So for us, this is a long-term relationship. And if we can't trust um, open communication, honesty, um, that type of thing with an individual, I think it's it can be a red flag because you're going to, with any business, especially in the small business space, there are going to be ups and downs. And it's a matter of being able to go through those ups and downs with open communication, with the ability to problem solve and to, to kind of move forward and make sure that business you know, successfully gets out of some of those valleys. And um, if, if someone is not able to demonstrate that they're able to kind of level set, I mean, if they come to you and they're like, my P1 is 100% on every single contract and this is what I see myself doing in the future. And, you know, and you push and you ask and there's really no – you know, reality check with that person. It's hard, it's hard, you know, a banker to get behind that um, because you know they're going to be, you know, down points and you want that business owner to come to you and let you know before, you know, things are set on fire. Like you want to be able to help them financially 
figure things out ahead of time and problem solve before um, you know the ship is on fire. Yeah, no, that, that's great advice. And without putting words in your mouth, uh, tell me if, if you think this is correct. Because it sounds like, at least from your bank's perspective, not necessarily all banks, since they're not all created equal, right? It sounds like from your perspective that you know your relationship and your conversations and, and your interpretations of what the, the business owner is saying weighs as heavily or more than all of the stuff they're going to put on paper, you know, like the financials and all that stuff. So it's so like you're, you're, you really are reading that person, making a judgment call on what they're telling you, how much of it is fact, how much of it is optimism, you know, all that type of stuff. It sounds like that makes a, a huge part of your decision where I think most people think it's all about the packet that I hand into you. Does that sound right? No, you're right. I mean, I would also say, I mean, it's it's reading the person, understanding where they're coming from. Do they have, our CEO likes to say, do they have the eye of the tiger, mm. right? Do they have the eye of the tiger? Are they going to take this business um, to the next level? I, I will say in the government contracting space and something that I can tell, if I get a business owner who doesn't have their documents in an organized fashion, you have to respond to a lot from the federal government. And if you're not organized and you are not able to do it on a, in a timely manner and in an organized fashion, to me, with the business that you know we do banking in, the government, federal government space, that is an indication that you might not be so great at the government contracting aspect of it, right? Like, yeah. you've got to be on top of things. And so, I mean, in every industry is different. Um, but I think that's something I've noticed, especially in the government contracting space, is that you demonstrate the way you do your business with the way you respond, you know, even if it's not, even if it's, even if it's with your banker rather than a contracting officer at an agency. But I can tell if, if you are on time and you're organized, you probably are doing that in your government contracting business as well. So that's, I mean, I think you've got to kind of, it is the person, but it's also depending on the industry, how they conduct themselves, how they do business and that kind of thing that can kind of give you a glimpse into the type of business, you know, how they they, they manage their business. Yeah, no, I, I think that's all really great advice. And I think if people go back and listen to what you just said, talking about having your ducks in a row with your documents and all those types of things, those are things that a, as a average business owner, you don't necessarily think as much about. But when you're dealing with the government, it's just mountains of paperwork sometimes. And and that and, yeah. and like you said, the, the timely response, I see people lose their GSA contract all the time because they don't give a timely response. You know, there's supposed to be cer yeah. a certain amount of days before you respond on certain things and they won't respond. They're like, they think they can do it on their own time. And so I, I think there's just some really good advice that sounds really simple that people could gloss over in what you said. So I, I would I would recommend people go back and listen to that. You know, the. It's not just about getting the finance. It's about running your business. And that and that is the advice that we're getting out of this front party. We haven't even gotten into the questions yet, you know, and I know we're, we're kind of halfway into the podcast, but we'll, we'll get into the, those questions here in a second. But I think it's some of these fundamental basics that a lot of business owners just either don't have or don't want to bring over into this space and it really hurts them. So it's, it's good to hear that from your perspective, because again, I, I think I've, be, I've gotten an SBA loan, I've gotten other loans and I've always felt like I win the lottery when it goes to those, because I do have my stuff together. I do go in, I do have good conversations. I have the documents and all the paperwork and it, and I've always, you know, been said, you always gotten a yes. Right. But I hear the stories from other yeah. people that can't win that game. And I'm like, 
you know, what's the problem from the banker? Well, like, yeah, it looks like your finances are in order. This is in order. What What is not in order? And so we're, we kind of heard some of that here right at the front. So, so, so let's talk a little bit more about the financing and competitive strategies for growth here. You know, you, you said at the outset, you know, you're a bit unique. You know, you have experience with the SBA and, you know, now you're a banker and all the things that you've done there. So I'm kind of curious, we, we've, we've kind of talked about some of the challenges up front with the finances, but what do you think are some of the biggest challenges you've seen that are facing government contractors today? No, it's it's a great question. So in the government contracting space, there, there, there are a lot of challenges, right? But I mean, things that really stick out, um, number one, you have to have past performance. So when you're a government contractor trying to get into the government space, you spend a lot of time trying to subcontract, trying to win business, and that's costly, right? Your business development costs. Um, so just getting into the federal government is is a challenge. And I think for us at Live Oak Bank, something that we saw as a great avenue to think about when government contractors are looking at their growth strategy is looking at inorganic growth and looking at organic growth. Most people grow organically. They try to win subcontracts, they try to get past performance, then they try to get prime contracts. Um, and obviously the margins on the subcontracts are a lot, you know, are smaller than when they get the prime contracts. So you're you know, you're 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 using a lot of grit. Um, you're trying to get up the ladder to get to that place where you grow your government contracting business. Um, so I think a challenge is that it takes time to do that. It takes money to do that. Um, and a way to sometimes solve for that is to look at other options where inorganic growth could be an option for some of these government contractors. And what I mean by inorganic growth is, have you thought about buying an existing government contracting firm? Um, to buy that past performance so that you're not trying to do a bunch of, you know, getting in the door, subcontracting, and then getting to prime, but buying a government contracting business that already has prime contracts. So that's, that's one challenge is just that past performance, right? You have to have past performance. You want to leverage your set-asides, um, and you have to have, you know, financial capacity as well to deliver on those contracts. And if you buy an existing government contracting firm, you have – um, working capital from the contracts they already have as well, um, which allows you to then grow even more so. So that's one challenge. Another challenge that we hear a lot um, is getting the money when you need it. Oftentimes, banks will give you money not when you need it, but when you don't need it, um, because most often um, you'll have a line of credit that's secured by your deposits, and when you're in a great financial situation, revenues are good, you have a ton of cash, banks are willing to lend you the money. The challenge is, if you're a government contractor and all of a sudden you won a big award, right, you doubled your revenues, how are you going to cover payroll for that particular contract? And your bank at that time says, well, you know, this is, this is pre-invoice. It's almost pre, you know, you just, you're getting this award. Um, I, you, you don't have any invoices, so it's difficult to, for us to actually put cash on that. So, Something that we've also seen is the importance of um, financing contracts, you know, the first four to six pay periods on a contract um, once it's won so that you're able to mobilize. And at Live Oak Bank, we have a product called Contract Mobilization Financing that provides 100% of the cost for that a new contract, um, a prime contract, um, the first four to six pay periods. So you're able to hire up 
um, and pay people to really mobilize and get started. So that's another challenge is just getting the money when you need it and finding a financial partner that's going to provide you with that financing um, when you need it. So those are a couple of challenges. And then I also mentioned earlier the exit strategy um, I think that's an, that's an issue that small businesses across the board just don't think enough about. But in the government contracting space, especially when you're looking at set-asides, whether it's you know, an 8A contractor, SDVOSB, WSB, and you have particular contracts associated that you know, were set aside in a sole source manner potentially, um, it's hard to sell because um, you can't just sell it to anyone. You have to sell it to someone else who could have that same you know, set-aside status. So really understanding the, the exit options, and, and that's something we do at the bank as well, which I've been really excited about, is we finance those acquisitions for small businesses um, that have those set-aside statuses. So it, it's a way for folks to not only enter, you know, you can buy a company to get that past performance, but it also provides an exit um, opportunity for a lot of those firms that in the past, you know, couldn't sell to a large, you know, Booz Allen or Deloitte or someone else because they had set-aside contracts, so they weren't really sure, you know, what the exit strategy could be. I mean, maybe it's an ANC or maybe – but there actually is an exit strategy where you can sell to another small business. So mm. making sure that that's available is important, too. Yeah, no – a lot of stuff to unpack there, so I think we're going to go back through it. And you know, it's funny you, you brought that out about um, you know banks will usually give you money when you don't need it, and then they won't give it to you when you need it. Uh, you know that was my first experience, gosh, like 15 years ago when I got into business for myself, where I had I had uh, left a job, I had a ton of money in the bank. And my banker's calling me all the time saying, hey, what's going on? Hey, Mike, you know, on a first name basis. Hey, I'd love to give you a loan. How'd you like $100,000 or $200,000 or whatever? And then we got a couple of years in the business and we were going through one of those valleys you talked about. And you call up the banker and say, hey, yep. I think I need a loan. And they're like, who are you again? <laughs> You're like, oh, uh, yeah, I don't think so. You know, why don't, why don't you get through the valley and then come back? And I'm like, I, this is what I need to get through the valley, you know? And so it got got very difficult when, when we didn't need it. So it was very interesting you brought that point up. But when I, I want to go back to a couple of things that, that you said here. You know, when, uh, when you're talking about buying another business, I think that is something that people would love to do, you know, growth by acquisition, if you will. And yep. tell me your thoughts on this. A lot of people, when they see something like that, they say, oh, wow, you know, if, I'd love to buy this this business, but they want $2 million for it or, or whatever. We don't have $2 million in the bank. I think that deters a lot of people from going after that. And correct me if I'm wrong, if the, the financials are strong enough, they can probably get a loan for that. Am I, am I right? That's exactly what we do um, at Live Oak Bank in the GovCon space, um, and it's important to leverage debt, right? You don't you don't want super expensive debt. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where your working capital is not working for you, um, and you're in a hole. But you can leverage debt in a way that really helps you. Um, be smart about your working capital, and I think acquisition is a way to do that. And the acquisition loan at, at Live Oak, we use. We do SBA loans. Um, we also do conventional loans, so we do both. Um, some things about the SBA loan that, that, that are great, it's, it's longer term than a, than a conventional loan. It's a 10-year term, and it's no prepayment penalty. Um, and because of that longer term and because 
um, the terms are just in general a little bit um, better, it, it allows for a lot of folks who might not normally be able to buy a business to buy a business. And you do have to have money down. You have to have skin in the game, and that's something that is important to us because if you're if a bank is putting a couple million dollars or $5 million, whatever it is, um, onto a loan for you, we need to know that you do have some cash um, you're willing to put up front, but you can also find investors to help provide some equity to do that loan. And like I mentioned, you got to be smart about debt. And the nice thing about, you know, looking at and the loans that we provide and, and just finding a loan in general for an acquisition is that you're buying a business that has, um, revenues already. They have contracts, right? They're already making money. So they're making money. So not only, you, you know, your debt, you're going to take on some debt to buy that business, but you're going to gain a whole lot more when you're gaining all of those existing contracts, you're gaining that past performance, and you're also gaining that cash that they're already making on existing contracts. So I think that's really important to think about. Um, there is some information on our website, and our website's um Com, but I think something that's important to really look at is um, is really um, identifying you know when it makes sense for you. Is it the right move? And and it needs to cash flow. Like at the bank, we don't want you to take on debt that you can't you know pay off in a realistic manner. Like we look at the debt service coverage um, ratio for any deal that we do, and we won't do a deal if it doesn't look like you're you're unable to make debt payments with a lot of room. And by a lot of room, I mean you should be able to continue to do the business that you're doing. You should be able to continue the lifestyle that you have. Um, you know, obviously being smart about financials, but we want you to, you know, take if you're buying a business, we want you to have the room that you can actually and 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 just peace of mind to grow that business even more so. So um, it is it is important to look at. I think it's an option and. And I always say it's important to know all the tools, and it's just one of those tools in the toolbox that I don't think is talked about enough. And part of the reason I got really excited about this is when I ran the Office of Women's Business Ownership at SBA, um, you know, we talk a lot about trying to get women-owned businesses to grow. And at the time, 89% of women-owned small businesses didn't have employees, right? So how do you get more women-owned businesses to grow and not only, you know, start a business but actually hire employees, have an impact on their community, um, and the more I started drilling into it, the more I thought, wow, like this acquisition is a great strategy that so many people just don't think about or they don't think they can do it. And um, I just think it's important for folks to understand how it could be possible um, for their particular situation. Yeah, no, I, I think everything you said is super important. One thing I'm going to emphasize kind of over the whole thing is if you're a regular podcast listener, you know what I'm about to say about lawyers. We always tell people when it comes to a lawyer, do not go to the guy or gal who does your will or any of that kind of stuff when it comes to government contracting. Find a specialist. The same thing about banking. <laughs> it's the same thing about banking. Yeah. You know, you don't just run down to the U.S. bank and talk to their small business person and and get it. I mean, their small business person is probably really well versed in small business loans. Are they well versed in government contracting? And like you, you brought up a couple of things like the acquisition loan and different things like that. You brought up several different products you guys have, and with, without sounding like an infomercial for Live Oak Bank here, you know, it, it's something I, I just want to stress to our listeners: if you're in this game, if you're in government contracting, the odds of your local business 
bank or banker being able to really help you accelerate in this fashion, probably pretty small. You know, you need a specialist banker who really gets government contracting. And and, uh, I'm just going to plug you guys on this of not only having the products that you have, but it's very easy. You know, all you Game Changers listeners, it's very easy when you hear Aaron talk to know that she understands government contracting. And so that's why we bring experts like this on here, not just so you can get a little bit of advice from them, but now you have a contact. If you need resources like this, pick up the phone, hop on email, get on LinkedIn and reach out to Aaron. We're going to have all our contact info on the website. So you can go check that out. But I I can't stress enough how important it is to talk to a specialist when you're dealing with government contracting. It's different than every other business. And so I I, I just really want to stress that here. No, and Mike, I couldn't agree more. And I would say the the same thing on the lawyer side um, and accounting side too because I think we've, even when we get into these deals, if, if there's a lawyer who doesn't know government contracting, you know, they could be advising their particular client to do something that, you know, is against the FARs, against the law. Right, you know, right. they're just all of these things that we find. Um, and I'll give you an example. I had a guy come to me who was in the process of um, finalizing an LOI with an SDVOSB, and they were going to buy an SDVOSB firm. They were not SDVOSB. And so, like, from a banking perspective, there are certain things that we will not allow to happen. You know, we know the rules, we know the regulations, we know the set-aside programs, and we will not finance something if we know that, but, you know, you're going to get protested once you buy this this particular firm because you're not going to qualify for any of the contracts the firm has because you don't have that set-aside right. status. So I just, I think it is, I, I just want to reiterate in any of those things, um, it, it is really important to get folks who who know that space. Yeah, no, it's super important. I mean, even, you know, when you think about doctors, you know, if, if you need brain surgery, you're not going to go to, you know, your ram, your regular family practitioner. You're just not going to do that. You know, even if you're cheap, you're not going to do that, right? It's not the right route to go. You're going to go to a specialist. And that's when you're dealing with something like this, it, I think you're right. It can cost you huge down the road in mistakes and time lost, to go with somebody that's not a specialist. And so again, with, without sounding like I'm pitching live Oak bank, the focus is get a specialist, get somebody who has just the knowledge you have on this. You know, it's, it's very apparent within minutes of you talking about government and you dropping acronyms and going through different products and stuff. It's very apparent there. And that, and that's why, again, we're, we're always stressing that could be a simple game changer in your business, finding the right specialist, finding the right product. Absolutely simple things like that you know you talked about in in the uh in the acquisition process you know the additional finances you know the past performance all those types of things i always talk about you know not only that you're talking about if if you just launched your company and you go and acquire this one you go from a one-month-old organization to a 10-year-old business overnight because you now have a business that's yep. been around for 10 years. So, I mean, you you really change the game drastically by going that route. And so but we're kind of jumping the gun on some of the questions here because I, I want to hit on a little bit more about, uh, you know, growing in that inorganic fashion there. But let, let's talk real quick here about from the finance perspective. You know, I, 
I said this, and so I don't know that it necessarily needs an, an answer from you. It's going to be pretty obvious. You know, if, if I'm out there working on trying to win an award, I finally get the award. The likelihood of my local bank financing are pretty small, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends. So if you have a small award and, you you know, you have payroll, you're running um, through that bank and you have your deposits at that bank and you win, a, and you win an award that's not going to throw off your existing, you know, revenue size by too much, your local bank very well could finance it. Um, they're not going to do oftentimes pre-invoicing, um, the pre-invoice financing. So if you're going to need a hire, you're going to have to wait to invoice um, oftentimes. It just depends. But I think on the small side, you can. When, when, when we find folks um, running into trouble and where I think we have a unique position within the marketplace, um, where people win a big award, right? They've been in business for a year or two. Maybe they're new to the 8A program or, um, you know, they just started winning a little bit of work and all of a sudden they won the big contract they've been working on for a few years. They won a $5 million or a $10 million contract um, and their $150,000 line of credit at their local bank isn't going to cover their payroll or the cost of hiring people for that particular contract because they need to start hiring before the contract starts. That's where we can play a big role. Um, you know, if you need a line of credit and you're a startup, I often say, you know, there are options in the marketplace and we can be incredibly helpful, but usually we're better off um, helping folks that, you know, have, you know, have some government contracts. They've, they've won a couple of government contracts and they're really trying to scale to the next level. Um, they're really trying to take it, um, you know, from a few hundred thousand dollars to a few million dollars um, pretty quickly. So um, it, it just, it, so like I said, to your point, it depends. It's important to know the options in the marketplace. Um, and I usually, when I sit down with someone, if it's, if it's something where we can't help, and I'm very honest, like obviously I'd like to help everyone. Um, I think maybe it's the public servant in me. Um, we'd like to finance where we can, but there are just certain things that don't make sense. For, for them from a business perspective, they're not quite ready for our financing. Um, and so I'll say, well, why don't you go to your local bank and get a small line of credit to help you? And then when you win that big award that is in your contract um, pipeline, when you win that big award, we can absolutely be helpful then because I know that your bank is not going to finance that. And that's where we can come in and provide you know, some financing. So I think you know, honesty is key to the relationship too because I personally – um, if, if, we're, if, if I want you as a client in the future, I want you to make smart business decisions from your inception. Um, and if that smart business decision is bootstrapping for a little while or it's taking a, a small line um, at the beginning and then coming to us and we feel like now you're ready, um, that is the advice that we will give as well. So we're here. We're, we're excited. We want to see government contractors grow. Um, and, you know, we want to be as transparent and open with how they do that. And we also want them to know the tools that are available. And you mentioned earlier, you know, having a bank that knows government contracting, we have, you know, government contract specialists like, um, you know, uh, the person who runs our servicing for the bank used to be a contracting officer at FDA. Jackie Robinson Burnett, who used to run the 8A program and then government contracting at SBA, is on our team here and provides, um, you know, consulting um, and support to all of our clients. So she can help, you know, 8A companies that are trying to figure out their growth strategy, figure out the best way to do it. So we really feel like, you know, if you become a client of ours at the bank, it's not just a one transaction thing. It's not just, 
we're going to give you this product and you're not going to hear from us again. It's we're committed. Like it is, we are in a relationship for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. And like I said earlier, that's why we're very particular about the folks that we, you know, choose to do business with because it's a long-term relationship and we are going to be with you um, throughout that relationship, not just giving you the financing, but giving you the support, the guidance, the expertise that you need to grow in the government contracting space. Uh, and it's all really, really important stuff. And, you know, while we're starting to kind of run low on time here, I want to kind of throw out two questions and I'll let you com- combine them in the answer there. One is, I don't know if you want to hit on the, uh, you know, if a contractor is contemplating, you know, growing organically versus inorganically, if you have any more to, to touch on that. And then it's kind of a final piece there, just any kind of closing thoughts that you have. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. Maybe you can hit those two and see if there's anything else. Yeah, no, of course. So like I like I talked about earlier, growing organically versus inorganically. Actually, let me just summarize. I think the three three closing thoughts, one would be the um, organic versus inorganic growth. Um, the other would be um, getting money when you need it, and the other would be knowing your exit strategy. So organic versus inorganic growth. You can buy, you know, you can, you can actually under, you can, there's another tool in your toolbox that's called inorganic growth, you know, growing by acquisition, and understanding how to do that will help you get past performance much more quickly than you would if you just tried to win, win subcontracts and then move to prime contracts. So understanding that that is possible, that that's a tool that you should be aware of, and that we can help finance that, number one. So that's one of the takeaways. Number two, you should be getting money when you need it. So I think as a bank, you need someone who understands government contracting. You need someone who has the expertise to understand when you win an award, you need to scale up and you need the financing to scale up. That's something that I think we can definitely help with, and we can do it at bank rates. There are a lot of alternative lenders out there um, and other lenders that will do you know, factoring and that, you know, upfront financing, but the interest rate is going to be a lot higher. So I also say, you know, as a bank, under, find a bank that can give you a bank rate to do that type of financing. And then third, I, you know, I mentioned this, know your exit strategy. So if you're a company that's getting ready to exit the 8A program or you're looking at retirement um, of your, you know, and you have an SDVOSB and you're not quite sure what to do because you have most of your, your, your contracts are SDVOSB set aside, understand that there is an exit strategy available to you um, and we can help you with that at the bank. Um, we definitely um, see a lot of borrowers who want to buy a business. So we are constantly on the lookout for potential sellers um, that could be connected with them and that there are financing options that help small businesses um, you know, buy, buy your potential business if, if, if you're looking to exit sometime soon. So um, exit strategy, getting money when you need it, and then understanding that you can get past performance through inorganic growth. Those would be, I think, my three big takeaways. Yeah, no, th- those would definitely be my three big takeaways here. And not only that, but just you know, maybe this is my fourth one, is finding a specialist in this, in this industry because, honestly, before I talked to you, I really didn't know there were people who specialized to the degree you do in this field. And so for me to hear that is very refreshing to know that that's out there. So I think that that would probably be my fourth takeaway for today. So so with that, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. I think our listeners are going to get a ton out of this. And I really hope you get some phone calls and people who need your help. So I think that'd be great. Yeah. 
No, thank you so much, Mike, for having me. And feel free to reach out. Anyone can reach out via LinkedIn. Happy, And we'll be posting information on things that are upcoming with the bank on our LinkedIn profiles too. So definitely you know, reach out and, and send a request. And looking forward to working with a lot of the listeners yeah. on the call today awesome. or on the podcast. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So I also want to take a quick minute here to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on, the, on this episode. Remember that you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access Program at federal-access.com. When you visit the site today, you'll learn how you can get a free copy of the government sales manual uh, when you become a member. And last, be sure and tune in next week for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.